0: Good morning, Cardiff, good afternoon, Ashgabat, and good evening, Vientiane. From Washington, D.C., I'm Ethan Plotkin, and this is Intrigue Out Loud, your go-to audio guide to the globe. On today's show, I'm joined by Intrigue co-founder John Fowler to discuss the latest on French pension reform and an effort to arrest a former Pakistani prime minister. It's all coming up.
1: Morning, John. How are you? Oh, I, I think I've just about recovered from the insane number of developments, the firehose of news over the past week or so. You know, we had the Iran-Saudi deal. AUKUS was last Monday. The U.S. drone was down by the Russian fighter jet. Uh, Xi has announced he's going to Russia. Turkey approved the Finland uh, NATO bid. There were protests in Israel. It was a firehose, Ethan. So I've just about recovered. <laughs>
0: That sounds like enough uh, enough news for two weeks. So I'm sure I'm sure this upcoming week will be nice and easy for us. Yeah, for uh, sure. <laughs> but before that, let's 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 get into the show. So we're talking again about the heated debate in France over pension reform. Uh, we covered this story a little over a month ago, but remind us what is this debate about?
1: Yeah, uh, well, when we covered this last time, as you say, about a month ago, protesters across France had taken to the streets just about every week to rally against uh, a reform effort from President Macron. Um, The temperature seemed pretty high back then because union leaders were threatening to bring the country to a standstill. But since then, the temperature has just you know, ratcheted up a lot to mix metaphors badly. <laughs> you know, just to take a step back and and give a bit of context, th- these protests started um, because of a plan from the president uh, Emmanuel Macron, trying to seek to raise the retirement age from sixty two to sixty four in France. Uh, the idea there is to ensure the durability of France's pension fund, or. At At least that's what Macron says, and and a lot of leading economists say as well. The basics are this, and they're very similar to what we said last month. It's France, like a lot of Western countries, is growing old, uh, and there aren't enough people paying into the retirement system at any given time to support the people that are receiving the benefits. The most interesting number, I think, is that in the 1960s, there were four French workers per retiree. Today, that number is 1.7 per retiree. And in 2050, or by 2050, that number is expected to be closer to 1.2 French workers for every one person who's retired and receiving benefits. You know that that's that's a you know that those numbers paint a fairly graphic picture. Um, and there's already a huge funding gap in the pension system of about 10 billion dollars a year. So Macron was trying to, or at least he says he was trying to, bring things back into balance without raising taxes or taking on any new debt. Uh, I think the protesters say that. Raising the retirement age gives France's wealthiest a free pass, and it's unfair to the blue-collar workers, the kinds of folks who would be forced to work longer. Um, And so that's why the protests have kicked off and have been so sustained over, as we said, about a month. Sustained how? What do these protests look like? Well, I I guess beyond the sort of standard, very French people marching in the street, um, millions of workers in essential public services like transit and education have gone on strike. But Ethan, this is the most disturbing of all, at least for people who don't live in France, and it's that sanitation workers in Paris have gone on strike, which uh, tourists, I am sure, are not too pleased about, and Parisians as well.
0: Sacre bleu, John. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> perfect uh, French accent. <laughs> so, so that's the background, uh, which brings us up to a uh, highly anticipated voting day last Thursday, and I think people went into to voting day truly not knowing what to expect. So, what happened when France's legislators went to vote on this?
1: Well, uh, the Senate passed the measure by a very wide margin. I think it was 193 votes to uh, 114. That wasn't actually surprising, even though it kind of sounds like it was, because the Senate leans quite a lot further to the right, um, and it's obviously a bit older. So you know they're not too they're not too fussed if the young whippersnappers have to work a little bit longer to support them. Um, but what? Isn't clear, or wasn't clear at the time, was how the lower house, the the National Assembly, would vote on it. Um, and even though Macron's party, on Marche, is the largest party in that National Assembly, they got completely wiped out in last year's legislative elections. Uh, folks might remember that they lost over a hundred seats in those elections. Um, and the opposition parties outnumber the parties in Macron's legislative coalition. So. The long and the short of it is that in order to win the vote, Macron would have had to persuade some of his opponents to cross the aisle and join his reform efforts. He couldn't do that to make the, the story even shorter, but Macron is determined to push through this pension reform um, as perhaps the most important piece of his legacy. Uh, so rather than see it fail, he urged his prime minister, Elizabeth Bourne, to use a legislative procedure that simply forced the bill th- uh, through, but without a vote. They they forced it through? Yeah, right. They used a legislative procedure in the National Assembly, uh, I guess like a technical process to push the bill through without having to have it passed by the Assembly. Kind of weird. Interesting.
0: Well, John, if there if there's anything I know about politicians and for that matter, if there's anything I know about the French, it's that they don't like being told what to do. So How did lawmakers respond to this?
1: Yeah, says an American. (laughs) Uh, But no, the the French were furious. They were furious. Uh, Left-leaning MPs chanted at the prime minister to resign. uh, Lawmakers across the political spectrum sang the national anthem to drown her out while she was giving a speech, which is a fairly evocative image. Um, And, you know, lots of lawmakers pointed to the government's decision to force the legislation through as a sign of the weakness of the government. And that's a fair point. I'm I'm not sure how much of a mandate Macron has anymore. Obviously, not, he would have not had much political capital if the bill had failed either. But I now think that some of his supporters or his previous supporters in Parliament are even more upset. But you know, of course, on the other hand, the experts are saying this change needs to be made for the sake of the French economy in the longer term. So you know, you you could spin it and say that Macron was being brave by pushing it through when it would have been uh, easier and politically expedient to just abandon the measure. Um, but that's not how the National Assembly saw it, as, as we mentioned. So uh, last Friday, uh, instead of retiring to Provence for the weekend, which in my imagination is what every French person does when it comes to Friday. <laughs> well, at, least, at <laughs>
0: least every French person over the age of 62.
1: Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, to get away from stereotypes, the lawmakers actually stayed and issued a no confidence vote against Macron, which um, if successful would topple his government and block that bill from becoming a law uh, i think they vote the, the no confidence vote is scheduled for sometime early this week
0: and, and the protests you know how did the the wider French public respond?
1: Ah, uh, well, much the same as they've been responding for the last month or so. They returned to the streets, but perhaps with even more vitriol. They were, there were tons of clashes with police over the weekend, and late last week, I, I even saw videos from Paris of cars being set on fire. Um, and, and remember, only a third of French voters actually support this measure. So that's that's important to remember. Um, but I suppose if you're not French, you might be asking, so what? Why should I care about this? And I think one of the big takeaways. That experts have pointed to is that the public anger over this measure, as you said, one one third of French voters un, uh, support this measure. The public anger is likely to empower the extremes of French politics, especially the infamous far right leader Marine Le Pen, who placed second last year in the presidential election. She's been very vocal in her opposition to these reforms. So you know, while Macron had hoped. To rest his legacy on rescuing France's retirement system, there's a pretty good chance that he will be the president who paves the way for France's political extremes to return to power.
0: Today's show is sponsored by one of my favorite newsletters, 1440, The team from 1440 monitors scores of news sites to find the stories that matter the most, from science and culture to business, politics, even sports. They then pull the most important pieces together into a single digest every weekday morning. Check out the link in the show notes to learn more. All right, welcome back. We're off to Pakistan for this next story. John, take it away.
1: Yeah, so this story is about uh, former Prime Minister Imran Khan, who has been uh, hotly pursued by police in the Pakistani city of Lahore. This is a wild story, Ethan. I, I mean, <laughs> for, for two days last week, police were dressed in riot gear, full, full kit, trying to make their way into Imran Khan's home, but they were turned back by... Khan supporters. So if you can imagine it, though, you know, right, right, police trying to break into a house, but they simply can't because there are legions of Khan supporters physically preventing them from doing it. It's kind of wild. Um, anyway, so by Wednesday afternoon, a Pakistani court ordered police to suspend the arrest operation because the scenes were just so chaotic. Uh, not to mention that there was a, a big cricket match being played down the road that officials were worried might get interrupted. <laughs> and first things first, right? Um, and so last Friday, the court issued an additional ten day suspension of that arrest warrant.
0: Wow, I mean, that's that's quite a scene. I really like that you said hotly pursued. That really that paints a, a vivid picture for us. Uh, why were police trying to arrest Khan in the first place?
1: Well, uh, authorities say Khan profited from selling state gifts while he was prime minister between 2018 and 2022. Uh, They say he uh, sold six Rolex watches. Um, You know, these charges are being taken pretty seriously. In October last year, Pakistan's election commission barred Khan from holding public office for five years. Um, In response, Khan obviously says these charges are politically motivated. And, you know, he might have a point Uh, in a country that's Famous for Olympic-level corruption. Selling six Rolexes probably wouldn't raise an eyebrow in other circumstances. Uh, not that we're endorsing that kind of thing, obviously.
0: Why are you, why are you winking at me when you said that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, John, who is this Imran Khan? I mean, I'm, I'm sure people will have, will have heard his name, but what's his story?
1: Yeah. Imran Khan came to fame in the 70s and 80s as one of the greatest Pakistani cricketers, or cricketers full stop, uh, of all time. I, I remember as a young boy growing up in Australia, watching the tail end of his career, and he was just an incredible cricketer. I think he even led the Pakistani national team to the World Cup triumph in uh, 1992, if memory serves me correctly. Um, so he, he kind of made his name as a national hero, a sporting icon. And then he entered politics, uh, and shortly after he entered, he, he founded his own political party, uh, served in the National Assembly of Pakistan for a bunch of years, and then in 2018, was elected prime minister after running on a very populist platform. Uh, he, he, he then spent the next four years governing as a populist as well. He, he you know played all the hits. He railed against American hegemony, uh, promised to curb corruption, save the economy, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it worked for a while. He was really popular. But then he made a fatal mistake in Pakistani politics, uh, and he started to target the military, pick fights with the military, and and the military in Pakistan is by far the most politically powerful institution. They they are really the ones who choose um, the the leaders in Pakistani politics. So, you know, long story short, he was kicked out of office in a no confidence vote last year because he picked a fight with the Pakistani military.
0: So, zoom out. You know, Pakistan's economy is in terrible shape. They're currently negotiating with the IMF for a bailout. There's clearly huge political divisions. So, what's next for Imran Khan?
1: Yeah, I, I, Pakistan is in 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 trouble. But um, ironically, perhaps Imran Khan's popularity has skyrocketed in recent months. Um, right, you know, since basically since he was barred from office uh, last October. Oh, and he was also nearly assassinated last November. I forgot to mention that um, a gunman you for, you shot at him. Oh, that's convenient. <laughs> a minor detail, right? Um, he was shot at uh, giving a campaign speech, so um, he was shot in the leg. I mean, he was fine, but you know, pretty pretty serious issue. Um, I think, in a way, Khan's enemies in the military and the political establishment might actually help him make his populist case, at least with the public. You know, populists tend to rail against the establishment and and that's certainly what Khan is doing and continues to do. So you know the charges against khan, the 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 corruption charges may be politically motivated or they might not, and he may end up going to prison or he might not. But no matter what the truth is, and really no matter what the outcome is, the chaos chaos of the arrest operation last week is exactly what Khan wants.
0: So safe to say that that won't be the last we hear from Imran Khan, but John, for now, it's the last we'll hear from you.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Ethan. Cheers.
0: Here are a couple other stories we're tracking today. Protesters across Mozambique marched on Saturday in honor of an anti-government rapper named Azagaya, who died of a seizure last week. Azagaya's 2017 song, Povo no Poder, aka Power to the People, was censored across state media, and police responded with force to the protests. Slovakia is following Poland's lead and sending more than a dozen Soviet-era MiG-29 warplanes to Ukraine. To date, most NATO allies have worried that delivering fighter jets could lead to escalation. But a Russian spokesperson doubted that the planes would have any effect on the war. And that's going to do it for me. By the way, days after a Canadian court affirmed Canadians' God-given right to use the middle finger, Australia is going to war with birds. You know, the, uh, the flying kind. So check out the International Intrigue newsletter to see who they're hunting. In the meantime, I'm Ethan Plotkin. See you on Wednesday.